0: Welcome to episode 74 of the Keep or Cut podcast. This is Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We are very sorry we missed you last week but we're we're back. Got the band back together, ready to roll for the the home stretch as we hit our this is now officially our first episode of September. This is we're recording on September 9th. It'll come out on Monday the, was that was at the 12th. Monday's the 12th, I think. And yeah, at that point, I mean, the season goes a little late this year because of the weird start and all the lockout and all that kind of stuff. But even so, we're down to like the last three, four weeks and it's, it's crunch time here. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I'm. it's actually kind of nice because being in so
1: many leagues, now that I'm like out of it in some of them, it's like, oh, even though it's crunch time, it's like it's actually a little easier because I'm not scrambling to check 21 leagues. I'm scrambling to check like, you know, 15. So
0: yeah, it yeah. hasn't been too bad no i know that I to, uh i have a couple of leagues that it was like once i lost i was like eh, maybe that's for the best yeah, <laughs> now i can yeah, focus exactly to win some of the other ones and it'll be an interesting stretch you're you're in 21 leagues this year 21 yeah
1: yeah but i've been out hey, of my hey. odd new ones for like three
0: months so really 18 if you want to call it that yeah how many are you still actively competing in
1: well one of them i'm not because i've been winning the league since like june Uh, that's a dynasty rotisserie league where everything just kind of broke my way so if if we're counting the ones that i'm i have a chance to win i'd say about half that about half that 11 it looks like 11 out of the 21 it's nice having the bye week in the listener league that was that was nice because it cut down on one platform (laughs) that i had to check man
0: the listener league so i i am in a matchup in the first round of the playoffs there and i don't know what's going on tonight i'll have to look what's going on tonight but as of the end of the night last night, as of this morning, basically, I was tied 5-5 with... I can't even remember who I'm up against, but I was tied 5-5, and I was winning all the hitting categories and not by a small margin. And he's winning all the pitching categories and not by a small margin. And I have no idea how... I I, I don't know how we break that tie. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens, but yeah, I'm in... I'm in, I think, 13 leagues. I've got six auto new leagues. I've got a couple Yahoo's, eight. I've got the three fan tracks is 11, the one CBS, and then the one NFBC. So it's, yeah, 13. There are two of those that I am out of. And then there's another one, our our Auto new listener league. We've talked about this before. I'm in like, I've been bouncing back and forth between second and third, but the team in first is just so far out in front that it's, you know, I'll finish second or I'll finish third. And that's sort of what it is. Um, So I'm not spending a lot of energy on that right now. Soon I will. So the the other thing is, this is supposed to be the time of year that my kids go back to school, and then I have the full day (laughs) to myself to get stuff done. And uh, the Seattle public school teachers are on strike. Ah. And so the kids are supposed to start Wednesday, and they have not gone back to school yet. So instead of being able to spend this week, like, (laughs) you know, combing through who my keepers might be and stuff like that, I've been... Playing. don't they know this is prime fantasy yeah. baseball time <laughs> no that's all right. that's I, i'm gonna go talk to them tomorrow i'm gonna go there you know they're out in front of the school holding up their signs and stuff and actually the kids and i uh we swung by yesterday and and brought some snacks for some of the teachers and stuff and i think oh, tomorrow, nice. no, well, tomorrow's the weekend monday if they're still on strike monday i'll bring them snacks again because i want to be supportive but i'll also sure. remind them they're like i got stuff to do so you know we'll see. i missed Picking up TJ Friedel because you're on strike. Yeah, like that. see, yeah. <laughs> that's like that could be totally important. Totally just maybe. butchered that guy's name. By the way, I have no idea <laughs> how to pronounce that one. Friedel, Friedel. I'm not sure either, but yeah. I haven't picked him up anywhere, so I guess I don't need to know how to pronounce it yet. But <laughs> yeah, other than that, I've got like my other leagues. I mean, I've got like a handful of head-to-head leagues where I'm in the playoffs now. I've got a couple of leagues that are like coming down to the wire. I've got one auto new points league league 670, where I'm in, I think as of last night, I was in third. Again, I haven't looked tonight, but the top three teams are separated by like 120 points total. And which if you've played auto new points leagues, you know, that's like a night, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's like a, a good, a good day where you have like a good offensive day and a pitcher going, you could put up 120 points. But on top of that, the team in first has thrown 30 more innings than the team in second. And they've thrown like 10 more innings than I have. And because of the innings cap, those are basically like, they're like bonus innings, right? Like I have, I get 40 more innings to throw the rest of the season. And like, it's just, it's super close, super close. So got lots of that stuff going on. But I think that in some ways makes our topic of conversation today a little weird because here we are talking about how it's crunch time and there's so much going on, but we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different, which is we're gonna turn our attention to the future, and and the reason for that is, you know, there were all these rule changes announced really today. They were just voted on today, so they're brand new, fresh changes coming to the 2023 season. For your redraft leagues, they they don't matter right now. You shouldn't even think about them. Don't pay attention to them. But for your keeper leagues, they do because now is the time to start thinking about like is this going to change someone's value? Are there pitchers I may need to move on from or hitters I should be adding or anything like that? And I think it's worth diving into now what we think the fantasy impact of these trades is going to be and how that might impact your thinking about keepers and and therefore moves down the stretch. So we're going to dive into those. After that, we'll see. I don't know how long that's going to take us. If it takes us a long time, we'll be done. If not, we'll come up with some other stuff to talk about. We'll figure stuff out, maybe. (laughs) We'll see. Oh,
1: there's no shortage of topics we can do right now. Oh, for sure. Josh Jung so, first at bat home run. There's one. Yeah. We're about. yeah. Getting
0: right into it. It took, uh, you know, four months longer than we'd all hoped it would. But man, that's here we go. It's good to see. So yeah. with that, let's start looking at those rules. The first one I think to talk about is because it's I think I think the most controversial is the no shift rule. And so the version of this, and I think it's important to keep keep in mind what the version is, because there were multiple versions of a no shift rule being bandied about. There was that like pizza slice thing behind second base. Did you see that one that was thrown around at one point that they were basically going to like draw a wedge behind second base, almost like continuing the baselines from first and third through second base, but it wasn't quite that wide. And there, they were just going to be like no defenders in this wedge. You just can't be in there. So that's not what they did. What they've landed on, as I understand it, is there have to be two infielders on the left side of second base and two infielders on the right side of second base and infielders have to be on the dirt. So uh, I I suppose I should clarify, they can't be in the outfield grass. I presume they don't have to be on the dirt because like if you're in playing in tight for a bunt, I assume you can still be on the grass for that. Be a really loaded weird, and
1: yeah. no outs. Yeah. Right. You're it's pulling the infield it,
0: so. in. I'm sure you can still do that, but can't be on the outfield grass. And, and and what that's really trying to combat is that like exaggerated shift that guys like Joey Gallo see where the first baseman's almost on the line. The second baseman is like basically playing right field, but shallow. <laughs> and that allows the right fielder to play right field, but deep. And then the shortstop is, you know, well past second base on the first base side of the field. Instead, I think what you'll see is less aggressive shifts. You will still see shortstops that are like almost behind second base. And we'll have to see what the letter of the rule is like do both of their feet have to be on the third base side of second or like could they straddle second base basically like I don't know, but you're going to see shortstops shift by going almost straight up the middle and second baseman just won't be able to play as deep. So. Pete, first reactions, who are guys that you think this benefits? So I think
1: first, without, before we get into specific names, it's going to be a little hard to measure who this benefits because it's not as simple as filtering by pull percentage because the problem with that is a lot of guys who have very high pull percentages, they also have high fly ball percentages because they're trying to lift the ball out. That does not matter for the shift. So, I think it, it's going to involve a little bit of like really diving in. And, and then it's it, the other direction people might be pulled, no pun intended, to just look at this as well. Who are the players that are shifted the most? The Carlos Santanas, the Joey Gallos, et cetera. And like major league teams are smart. I wrote a piece about this during the offseason. And, and like major league baseball teams are obviously smart and they're shifting those guys for a reason. But I think it's a little naive to assume, okay, well, if Joey Gallo is a 210 hitter on a good year and he's shifted against all the time, maybe he's going to now be like a 240 hitter. I don't think that's going to be the case. It, I think it's going to be a little bit more, uh, I guess, nuanced than that. I tried to look at guys last year who were kind of in the middle, where like they were shifted against some of the time and they had clear, like better. I mean, the number you have to look at is Babip. They had a clearly better BABIP when they weren't shifted against and trying to find those guys in the middle. And that's something that's not really sticky year to year from what I found. I mean, that's my long way of saying this is something that's going to be pretty difficult to calculate. But if you want to try, I mean, one name that sticks out for me, and this is just a a very quick look. Jerickson Profar has a 270 BABIP. That's not terrible, but that's not great. He pulls the ball a lot. Among qualifying hitters, only 25 guys in baseball pull the ball more than jerks and pro far okay now I don't know how much pro far is being shifted against I should have looked that up before I looked at this but Fangrass can only offer so much at one one page <laughs> he does the with that pull percentage have a ground ball percentage of 43.5 I'm gonna guess that jerks and pro far a kind of platoon guy to begin with is in fact shifted against a lot I'm just gonna put it out there on the pod without actually looking and hope that it's true. That's the type of player, even if it's not, let's, even if it's not, who cares for the sake of this example? That's the type of player I'm looking at. Who's a guy who hits it on the ground because that's what actually matters here and who pulls the ball a lot and who gets shifted against a lot. That's kind of so, how you
0: want to narrow it down. Just to throw some numbers at you. I have no idea to be, I'm going to be blunt. I have no idea if this is quote unquote a lot. He had, and this is a little weird because the fan graphs data, a plate appearance can count multiple times. Right so like in some yep. cases they start not in a shift and then with two strikes when they're confident you're not going to bunt they go into a shift or something like that. He had two he has had so far this year. Let's start with this. This year he has had 400 and 488 plate appearances or at bat that's at bats. I should look at plate appearances. He has had sorry, give me a second. He's had 565 plate appearances. He has had a shift in 275 of those, so roughly half the time he's getting shifted. So that's just one example. Let me pull up Gallo. Actually, I have Gallo up. Gallo as a counterpoint has 348 plate appearances this year. Gallo has been shifted in 145 plate appearances, so actually less than half. So actually, Gallo and that that data is telling me that Gallo is getting shifted less than profile, but that doesn't really make sense because this fan graph state is now telling me that there is no shift on Gallo in one plate appearance. And that just straight up. Doesn't that's not, that's just not right.
1: Yeah. I came across a lot of this huh. stuff when I dove into the, into the data for that piece. Um, A, a couple things about this. Uh, yeah. I have no we, idea what that's doing before we look at that a step further, because I, I do want to talk about that. Something that if you're, if listeners are diving into the data and you're going to notice severe differences between Savant and Fangraphs, and the gist of that is, Fangraphs filters out walks and home runs, whereas Baseball Savant does not. So they're going to count the walks and the home runs, which means the numbers that they show you. And I think what they use for this is uh, what do they use for this? Because there's only one number that they actually give you. It's their woba. So they're, the woba against the shift is going to look super inflated on StackCast because for whatever reason they don't factor out walks and home runs at least they didn't when I wrote that piece last year which is kind of stupid because I don't care that you walked or hit a home run against the shift the shift clearly didn't matter I want to try and figure out like how much did the shift actually affect you when you put the ball in play and that's why we want to look at Babip. I, I wonder how much of that for Joey Gallo is because teams are not going to shift when there's players on base well, I mean it really depends where those players are on base but in most cases they're not going to and Gallo as bad as he's been And that's probably another reason why they haven't shifted. And I think he actually laid, I could be wrong. I think he laid down a couple of bunts to try and get the shift to go away. But I mean, he's played for the Yankees and the Dodgers this year. He played for the Yankees when they were great. And he's playing for the Dodgers while they're really taking off. If there's guys on base for Gallo, if there's ducks in the pond, teams are obviously going to be less likely to shift. So I think that might be part of it. But long story short, I mean, I think this tells us that Profar is shifted against a lot. So maybe he does kind of fit this mold of somebody who I'd be interested in.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that, it's you know, to your point about like it's the flyball hitters aren't gonna be impacted as much. I think what it is is that a guy like Gallo, looking at his numbers on the year, he has a twenty-seven percent ground ball rate, roughly. The thing about Gallo is when he puts the ball on the ground, it's almost exclusively pulled. So while his pull percentage is I think around fifty-six percent. See if I can refine that. I think that's about right. Yeah. 56.2% according to Fanagraphs is his pull percentage. I think his ground ball, his pulled ground ball rate is like almost all of that 27.3%. So if something like a quarter of his balls in play are pulled grounders, and you have to add in pulled line drives, because one of the things that deep second baseman does is take away line drive hits. And actually, to me, that's the bigger. The bigger value, I think, of getting rid of the shift is like, guy smokes a line drive to right. I hate it when there's a second baseman standing in shallow right to make the catch. Like Dude, you smoke you a line talking, drive to right, you deserve a hit. You were talking to a Red Sox fan who,
1: I swear to God, David Ortiz would have five thousand hits if the shift did not exist. <laughs> so yes, no, you're true. you're spot on. And I was I was thinking about bringing in the the line drive aspect of it too. I just I, like it's. I bet there's a, yeah, I bet there's a lot of like tweener balls in play that like, was that like a ground ball or a line drive? Like wh- when does it qualify as a ground ball and how far does it have to travel or what's the launch angle yeah. for a line? Like I imagine the launch angle has to be under zero for it to be considered a ground ball and
0: over zero yeah, for, I, I almost a, think the way to like the, the only way I can think of to really do this is to do something like dive into an individual player and watch every one of their pulled yeah. balls for the season and see how many of them turned into outs that otherwise wouldn't have. But like, I'm sort of going at the idea that like, you know, BAPIP, like if you took an average BAPIP on ground balls and applied that to Gallo instead of his actual BAPIP on ground balls, which is like 180 something. What's league wide? I I knew this before. Let's see if I can pull this up. I'm pretty sure you can get a league wide BAPIP on ground balls and it is higher than what Gallo has. So let's see league. This is, I'm, I'm in now the, uh, the fan splits tool splits leaderboard, which is really nice because you can fit, you can get league wide data. And then I can go look at, I think I can look at batted ball type, batted balls, ground balls. I can update this. So on the season, League-wide BAPIP on ground balls is 235. Joey Gallo's BAPIP on ground balls is 186, I believe. I'm going to double-check that, make sure I'm not being just, you know, throwing numbers out there that don't make sense, but I'm pretty sure. That's right. Here we are. Batted ball, grounder. That's the thing. When you get deep into fan graphs, it's like, which tab was it? Which page was it? Everything is black, green, and white. (laughs) Yeah, I had this a minute ago, though. Oh, grounders, BAPIP, his BAPIP is 205. It's actually a little better than I thought. So there you go, 205. Although I think that I... His BAPIP, according to baseball reference, is 186 on ground balls. So I'm not sure why that's different. But whether it's 205 or 186, that's lower than the league-wide 235 that doesn't really make sense because the one thing we do know about Joey Gallo is he hits the ball harder than the average player. Right. And he's not, he's not fast, but I don't think Joey Gallo is particularly slow. Either and he's a lefty level. out of the box. That'll get you there a half yeah. step quicker. So you would expect, I would expect Joey Gallo to have a, you know, let's see his sprint speed. He's a 45th percentile sprint speed. So, He has roughly league average sprint speed. He hits the ball an awful lot harder than the average hitter does. You would expect his ground ball BAPIP to be at least league average-ish, right? Maybe he hits it so hard that he doesn't beat out very many, but he also hits it so hard that they get by more easily. Instead, he's well below average. So I think you can assume something like a league average BAPIP on ground balls. Now. What does that do for him for his home runs and his ISO and stuff like that? Not very much. It's just going to add a bunch of singles. But like those singles matter and it means more guys on base and things like that. And I think that's the way to look at it is guys who are shifted a lot are going to see an increase in their BAPIP on ground balls is basically what it comes down to. I do think there's going to be a psychological impact for certain guys. Gallo seems to be really bothered. Like his attempts to bunt to get the shift off seem to be entirely based on the fact that he just hates seeing it. And so maybe just not seeing it will matter. There, there's been some speculation among Cleveland fans that Jose Ramirez has tried to go with a more all-fields approach because of the shift over the years. And that when, he, when he's at his best is when he goes, forget it, I'm just smashing the ball. And that maybe not being shifted will help him get into that mindset more often. I, I don't know. if I, that's, that's really getting very speculative. No, but, but I
1: think that's. I think there's something to that. I think we could see could an, an increase in average exit velocity for guys who are shifted against all the time because, like, you, it has to be some kind of mental block where you're thinking, "Man, there's literally nobody over there. Like, if I can just get the ball right. over there, and you're gonna take and you're
0: gonna try and aim, and instead of just swinging, that's bad, yeah." So I think that I think you're right. I think that there may be an impact there. I think the biggest thing will be these ground ball singles that get through. There's another impact though that I think is being talked about a little less, that I think is sort of interesting, which is this is going to put an increasing premium on defense. Now, specifically defense at second base, but I think everywhere, right? Your shortstop will need to have a little bit more range. Your first baseman will need to be a little bit better defensively. And your outfielders, right? More of those like like those line drives that used to be caught by the, the second baseman in the shift are now going to maybe hit gaps, which means you now need, like there's a little bit more of a premium on defense, which I think is a good thing for the game. Like I just like, Watching great defensive plays is fun, and I like seeing better defenders out there. It also means, and I wish I could remember, I think, God, I wish I could remember who I saw. Alexander Chase, one of our our pitcherless colleagues, I think maybe one of the people I saw saying this, saw a couple others saying it too, but like, teams have been hiding guys like Max Muncy at second base over the last few years. And part of that is, if a guy comes up to the plate who's likely to hit a ground ball to second base, you put Muncy 30 feet behind the infield, you move over your shortstop, And you're not actually asking Muncie to cover much ground. Well, with that off the table, can you do that anymore? Can you actually hide an awful defensive player with limited range at second base? Or does it actually get harder to put some of those guys on the field? And, And I think it'll probably result in teams being less willing to just throw somebody at second base and hope they can handle it, which I think we've seen a decent amount the last few years. So I think that'll be good. I think it will it means you'll get more defense first guys out there. I, I just think there's there's going to be some good positive things there. But from a fantasy perspective, that likely means not next year, the year after second base is going to get shallower, right? Next year, people will still have the eligibility they have from this year. And so that'll carry over for guys like Muncie. But if we, in fact, see teams start to say, yeah, I can't, I actually have to have like this second base is suddenly a premium defensive position because I can't compensate with my shortstop. Then you're going to see more defense for second baseman and you're going to see the quality of the bats at the position decline. So yeah, that's another thing to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to
1: think of a situation where it would be worth it to hide or, or, or to continue to hide. I should say a poor defensive player at second base, especially when you're going to be relying on them more like a player like Muncie, if you factored that in this season, he's just he just wouldn't have been worth it. Like It, it was somewhat worth it this year to see if he could get going because you could at least hide him on defense. It would not be worth it this year. I think we are going to see a shift. I mean, we saw a shift at the top of the position this year, right? I mean, injuries to Albies, Brandon Lau, and Jazz Chisholm, right? Like a, It's a position that is totally in flux. So, if you could lock up a long term piece there that you know is going to stick at second base, I think I I don't know if it's something I'm rushing to do right now, but considering all of these factors, I'm definitely thinking about it. And while you were talking, I couldn't help but think that like Dansby Swanson is going to get absolutely paid after the season. He had another homer tonight. He has the best outs against average in baseball, he's been a monster at shortstop and at the plate. And with these shift rules coming at a bare minimum, the up the middle defense is going to have even more of a premium than it already has. And he is a young, talented, all around excellent player. I'm interested to see where he ends up. The Braves cannot keep getting away with it. They can't like they cannot sign Dansby Swanson for like eight years, 80 million like they've done with all of their other star players. So sure, (laughs) I, I know I. I know, but like, I mean, at some point,
0: right? Like, I mean,
1: the whole uh, Grissom's up, oh, right? They this literally, be they literally could
0: be like, we're going to make you the highest paid player on the team and it would be an underpay. Well, yeah. I guess they have Olsen now. They're actually paying Olsen a reasonable salary. So maybe, maybe <laughs> they reasonable. Can, yeah. We'll make you the second highest <laughs> play, paid player on the team and it would be an underpay. But yeah, anyways, we'll we'll see what happens with that. I, I think forgetting fantasy for a second, what are your thoughts on the, the shift ban? You You a fan of it or? Yeah, I mean, I... I am.
1: Like I I get people being upset that like it's catering to, you know, or it's going against ingenuity and and all that stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a game, man. Like it's meant to be fun. (laughs) And the shift takes away so many hits. And I think to your point, I think it's a point that's overlooked. It's one I've heard before. I think this does kind of increase the likelihood that we see more and more amazing defensive plays. Like, yeah. I'd rather see Mookie Betts come in hard on a ball and make a tremendous catch than see, you know, Trey Turner out there playing shallow right field and just steal a hit from, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, I don't want to see that. Yeah. I, I think it's better for the game.
0: I think I agree. I'm sort of this one. I'm sort of impartial on. I I'm not sure how much banning the shift is really going to impact things. I'm not sure it's gonna make right. as big a big difference as people think. And agreed because of that, I'm sort of like, eh. I'm sort of glad they're getting rid of it, but if they kept it, it'd be okay too. I just don't think it's that important. I also, I don't believe it's going to limit ingenuity. You're just going to have people do different things. They're going to, they're going to, you're going to see teams use different formations still. It's just gonna be how they get there and what it looks like. And yeah let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll jump into the next of the rule changes
2: hey Alex Fast here and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network if you're a fan consider supporting all of us by getting a P.O. PL plus subscription where you're going to get an ad free website and get access to our discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff plus you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community it's basically a baseball sanctuary year round for as low as $8 a month you can sign up at Pitcher List.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code.
0: The next rule change I want to talk about is the pitch clock. And before we get into this one, Pete, have you watched any minor league baseball this year? Honestly,
1: not really. No, I almost went to a couple See, of have been. But I don't have the
0: MILB. Yeah, TV. You know, they've been using this rule, the the band, right. uh, the, or the pitch clock, not the band, the pitch clock rule this year. Yeah, yeah. Those games move. And it's not just that they move Good. and have less... It's not just less time, right? Because I'm not a big, like, I, I will say having having two young kids, games that end in under three hours are great. And I love that. Like, I I think it's a, a valuable target for baseball to hit. For myself, I don't care about that. But they these games, like minor league games this year, have a crispness and a pace to them that's just more pleasing. It's more enjoyable to watch. It's more enjoyable to see. And so I was... I, I'm I'm excited about this one. I really like this change. I'm sort of curious to know, here's another another sort of trivia question for you. I am looking, there is a baseball savant tempo leaderboard. So you can see how fast pitchers work. There are on this leaderboard, 393 pitchers. I don't, I'm trying to see what the, I think it's just like, it's minimum pitches it says qualified. I have no idea what that means, but hey, we'll go with it. 393 pitchers. With the bases empty, the pitch clock will be 15 seconds. How many pitchers in baseball this year out of 393 do you think averaged less than 15 seconds between pitches? Less than 15 seconds out of 393. Out of 393. <laughs> <laughs> uh I'll, I'm gonna go for an even number. I'm gonna say 93. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and that's not particularly close. 22. Yeah, 22. <laughs> I had a I had a feeling it was gonna be something. There's another. Like that. There's another one, two, three, four pitchers who averaged exactly 15 seconds. But keep in mind that's average. Next year, with the bases empty, that's your max. So every right. pitcher in baseball is gonna have to speed up. With the bases full or not bases full with runners on base for what it's worth, the clock will be at 20 seconds. There are only 15 pitchers who averaged below 20 seconds with the with men on base. So it's a pretty significant change. However, my understanding is that minor league players have generally liked this change that it hasn't been hasn't been negative. There are some concerns on two fronts. Well, I shouldn't say concerns. There are some things that people expect will happen on two fronts, one of which I think is a concern and one of which I, I think is not. So the one that's a concern is working faster may increase pitcher fatigue, which may lead to more injuries. Now, I don't know that we've actually seen this in the minor leagues. From what I understand, there isn't clear evidence that that's the case in the minor leagues, which is great. But if it does lead to more fatigue, it also could lead to short routings and things like that, which is not necessarily the intended consequence here. The other thing it will lead to, which I think is intentional on Major League Baseball's part, is decreased velocity. There's some data out there that shows that velocity is correlated to time between pitches. The more time you take to recover between pitches, the harder a pitcher can throw the ball. With that going down, pitchers will not throw as hard. Presumably, that means one of the effects of this will be fewer strikeouts and and I guess more offense in general. But Again, I don't know if we've seen that in the minor leagues or not, but that is in theory what should be happening. Let's get into the fantasy implications, though. What do you expect? Is this changing your thinking from a fantasy perspective at all? I don't see how it could because
1: it's just a it's a rule that affects every player of the posi- at the position. So, like, it, it's hard to really gauge it. I definitely buy into the idea that it would cut down on velocity. So maybe those harder throwing guys, but does that mean that those harder throwing guys are actually now more important? Like they're at more of a premium because they're maybe more likely to keep their velocity because they were already throwing so hard to begin with. I think it's one of those things, and especially the entry point as well, that we need a couple of years of data to gauge something that I think about that I'm thinking about that would definitely not impact my drafting because it's just such a random I, thought on this. But like, all right, it didn't have that big of an impact on minor leaguers who are young guys and, you know, really just getting their professional career started. But I mean, if you're taking a veteran starting pitcher who's made a career, in some cases made a Hall of Fame career and had a major league career of 15 plus years or whatever it might be of a specific routine that they go through all the time that takes them 23.4 seconds every time or whatever it might be. And now you're telling them you can't do that any, that whole routine that you've built your career on, you can't do anymore. And like, I get saying uh, on one hand, like, Oh, we'll stop being babies, you know, like throw the ball. And if you're so good, you should be fine. At the same time, they're human beings and they're creatures of habit, especially pitchers that I have a hard time believing that that's not going to have some impact. I just don't know if it should have enough of an impact for me to uh, adjust how I draft you know, they'll have a whole spring training, I guess, to get ready for it. But again, if you've had an eight, nine, 10 year career of doing a specific routine for every pitch and it's worked for you, and now major league baseball is telling you, you cannot do that anymore. You need to speed it up. It's going to cut down on your velocity. You got to get it moving or it's going to be a ball, whatever it might be. I don't know. I think that that could spell disaster for some guys. These are creatures that they don't even talk to people, some of them, when they're the day they're going to pitch. Like everything is spelled out. They do the same routines. They have the same meal. You can't make such a drastic change for somebody who's been doing this for their career for years and years and expect them to be the same. And it may not affect every starting pitcher, but I think veteran starting pitchers are
0: going to be affected. And we're not seeing it in the minor leagues because those guys are so young in their career. Yeah, they're still figuring things out and, and creating their routines and stuff. I think that's true. I think it'll be, you know, I, I do want to note before I before my my next comment that the data I used when I said there were only twenty two pitchers below fifteen seconds, that is, I'm noticing now that the Savant page has a banner on it that I think they just added, like maybe while we were recording because I hit refresh to look at the data <laughs> again and it changed, but that their time their timer is measuring the time from release to release, the rule is from when the pitcher gets the ball back until release. So when I said there were only 22 pitchers who were under 15 seconds, there's probably actually a a two-second buffer or something, right? They they release the ball, the pitch has to go home, hit the catcher's glove, get thrown back to them. There's a second or two in there. So it's more like how many were under 16 seconds, that'd be a different number. But the point is, it's very few. It's still very few. I, I do think when you're talking about pitchers being impacted, I think it's interesting to look at who might be impacted the most and the least. And so, like right now, I'm looking at that same tempo data. I've I've upped the minimum pitches to a thousand. So these are guys who have, I don't think any relievers have thrown a thousand pitches this year. So this is basically starters who have made at least 10 to 12 starts, something like that. There are only 47 guys on this list. It's a relatively small list. But I think it gives us a sense of pitchers who throw a decent amount, who, you know, we've been used a lot this year, who will be impacted or not. The five fastest, with the bases empty, the guys with the five fastest tempos are Logan Webb, Shane Bieber, Herman Marquez, Miles Michaelis, and Logan Gilbert. Cal Quantrill's up there, Mitch Keller, Alex Wood. Like Those are the guys who are working the fastest right now. The guys who are working the slowest right now are Corbin Burns, Hugh Darvish, Lucas Giolito, Alec Manoa, and Jordan Montgomery. Now again, that's with a a 1,000-pitch cutoff. If I go to a lower cutoff, let's see if there's any other names who pop up that are interesting. So because we're looking now at 500 pitches, Aaron Ashby shows up as among the fastest, Cole Irvin is among the fastest, David Peterson is among the fastest, Nestor Cortez is among the fastest. Among the slowest, you now start to get some relievers. Jake Diekman, Jose Suarez, Shohei Otani shows up as the slow among the slowest workers right now. Um, I'm also noticing, by the way, this they, they're also saying that they only count pitches where there's a return throw from the catcher. So that thousand pitches is actually more than ten starts. It's like twenty starts, probably, right? Because a decent number of pitches there isn't a direct return throw from the catcher. So mm-hmm. Yeah, regardless of that, though, that's I think what I'm going to end up looking at in this offseason is like Irvin and Ashby and Webb and Bieber and Singer and Marquez and Peterson. Like those guys will be impacted less. They're already moving fast. They can probably just sort of keep on keeping on and they'll be fine. On the other hand, I think that there's a chance that this does decrease velocity for Otani, Burns, Kopech. Um, Darvish, who I mentioned is down there. Lucas Giolito is down there. I don't know how much worse he can get, but maybe he can get a little (laughs) worse. But I, I do think it is worth considering that the guys who have the slowest tempos right now are going to be asked to make significant changes to their approach. Now, for some of those guys, it might mean decreased velocity. For some of them, it might not. For some of them, like, you know, maybe Corbin Burns is like, fine, I'll work faster. And it makes no difference for him. But maybe it does. And so to me, as I'm looking at my values for next year, draft pick, auction values, stuff like that, pitchers who work slowly are going to be, be riskier. I'm going to have to assume a higher level of risk because this rule will impact them in a way that it won't impact a, a Bieber. Even like Clayton Kershaw's tempo is at 16 seconds. And as I noted, this timer is a little bit longer than MLB's timer. So Kershaw, probably fine. Kyle Wright, even faster than that, probably fine. Sandy Alcantara, faster than those guys, probably fine. At the, Again, back to the other end of the spectrum, Justin Verlander works pretty slow. Talk about a veteran pitcher who's used to his approach and has been doing the same thing for years. Like That's a guy who could be impacted. Kevin Gaussman works pretty slow. So those are guys who, I think that's how I'm going to look at this. I don't know how else to interpret it. I don't think there's anything, a lot else I can do. But if I'm starting now to think about keepers or guys I might want to pick up or guys I might want to cut or things like that, I would go check out their tempo. Savant has the data. And anybody who's working kind of slow, I'm a little bit more leery of.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's a fine like tiebreaker for next year. You know, assuming it's a guy in the extremes. You know, if you're a yeah, guy yeah. who's taking this year like twenty-three seconds to throw a pitch and you kind of view him very similarly to somebody who takes 16 seconds to throw a pitch well maybe then you do go with the guy who takes 16 seconds i think i think any two players that are going to have more differences than just their tempo that you're going to want to weigh i i think it it really is i'm going to need a sample size with this um, because i do think there's a mental side of it that is immeasurable and it's and we're just going to need to see it in action to see how much of an impact it's having on each player yeah, like I could see it being good for someone like Lucas Giolito, like dude. Whatever you're Maybe doing right now change. is not working. So get your ass moving and and throw some pitches like yeah. that. That kind of. There thing.
0: There has been some talk that for some minor league guys, it's helped them to get into a rhythm. That like this, like I actually have to have a very clear get the ball. You know, whatever that you know, because pitchers all have their thing about like I adjust the ball in this hand, I pull up my pant leg, whatever it is they do, right? Like you were talking about the veterans. I think for some guys, the like. Okay, that has to become really precise because now I know I've got this clock and I've got to be able to do. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get set. I'm going to get the pitch and I'm you know the the pitch call and I'm going to go. That may be good for some people. It's hard to know. I, I'm just again to me it's it's a it's a risk thing. It's just the slower a guy is now, the more risk he has next year that this negatively impacts him because of that. So, but again, I especially I think you're right. if oh go on no especially if they're a guy who something we haven't mentioned
1: because you did bring up the injury risk but if they're a guy who already is dealing with arm issues and they're a slow pitcher now i'm like i'm out yeah because now like that could really mess them up uh i'm obviously not pretending to be some doctor but i can't imagine like all right you already have arm issues and now you're going to be trying to throw harder and you can't because you're you're working so much. Like that just sounds like it could be a disaster for some pitchers.
0: Yeah, I, I would think so. But I think you're also right that in general, it's more tiebreaker, right? Like, right. you know, the exa- I actually think like Alcantara being one of the faster workers and Verlander being one of the slower workers is a really good example of two guys who are mm-hmm. among the best pitchers in the game. Their draft values are probably gonna be relatively similar next year. And if I had to pick between the two, now I haven't done my full analysis yet. I may like Verlander a lot more than Alcantara or vice versa. But if I end up with them both being like, yeah, these guys are both sort of, you know, late second round picks for me. And I could take either one of them late second round. I think that's a tiebreaker. And I think it's a valid tiebreaker to be like, you know what? Verlander's got to figure out a whole new routine on the mound and Alcantara can just do what he's always done. Like that's, that matters. And it, it, again, it might matter at the margins, but it does matter. So yeah, for sure. What do you think of that rule overall? Uh, so this one, I'm a little
1: less like the, the shift one. I'm like, oh, that's fine. You know, this one I'm a little less into. Baseball is not a time sport for a reason. And I just like I'm all about getting the kids more into baseball and everything else. I just don't think the average time going from, you know, two hours and whatever it is, 50 minutes to two hours and 38 minutes. I don't think that's all of a sudden getting little Johnny and little Sally into baseball. Like, I, I it might allow them to stay up later for the game. And, and that's great. But I don't think it's getting them to turn the TV on to watch it in the first place. Uh, I don't think more so. balls in play and more action might.
0: I think so. I think that's true. But I do think the increased pace of the game, again, less less about the length the of the time. game total but yeah. like the number of pitches per minute the number of balls in play sure. per minute is actually Definitely. like that's a thing that i do think matters right because this is one of the things i, I talk about this and this comes up in the auto new slack every once in a while where people are like but like strikeouts and home runs are fun like obviously yeah, walks are walks but like the three true outcomes like two of them are great but i think people don't realize that for a lot of young fans like for my kids and i've gone i've taken my son to a bunch of games with friends of his this year so i've gone to a lot of games a lot of like Five to nine year olds, basically, mostly nine-year-olds. And they're like, they don't think strikeouts are exciting. Right? To them, a strikeout is just like a thing, a a thing that didn't happen. Right? That hitter stinks. Right. And and part of it is like they play little league. And in little league, guys strike out all the time. This is a constant thing for them, is that players strike out. It's how most outs happen. And so for them, when they see a major league hitter strike out, it's not like, wow, that was an incredible strikeout. They're just like, He didn't even hit the ball.
2: Nobody had to field it. Nothing happened. It's all about
0: the hitter. It's not about the pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, that... So, to that... From that perspective, I do think that, like, the pitch clock resulting in more pitches more quickly, condensing the action of the game will make every five-minute period of watching baseball more exciting because more things will happen, right? And so, even if it doesn't decrease strikeouts, although I think it might, but even if it doesn't decrease strikeouts... If those strikeouts happen more quickly so that the balls in play come up more often, like that's good. And I think, you know, you mentioned, I, this is why I asked if you'd watch any minor league baseball, minor league baseball games have been crisp and fun. And and I think that the pitch clock has had an impact on that. And so I'm, I actually like, I was sort of meh on the shift band because it's like, I just don't know how much it matters. I don't think like that, my, like my kid doesn't notice that. He doesn't look mm. and go like, oh, they're all standing over there. And like that ball was hit hard and it should have been a hit. Like that's not how his mind works when he watches. But the crispness of the game does matter. And I'm like that one I'm excited about. I actually think that's a really positive change. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm,
1: I I totally buy into what you're saying there. I mean, kids right now, like they're into and I, I am a teacher, by the way, yeah. for our listeners, and, and I'm a coach coach of middle school sports and like the the sport that they will really sit down to watch, most of them, is basketball. And basketball is just, it's literally just constant action. I mean, it, the ball is always that's in It's just because you're in
0: Boston and the team's uh, good.
1: i, I <laughs> Sure, but believe it or not, they're all like, you know, like LeBron fans or yeah. Durant fans or whatever. Steph. If you're NBA, if you're a modern NBA fan, you're a fan of players, not teams. No, every every
0: yeah, kid Steph, I know that age geez. is a Steph Curry fan. I'm like, yeah, exactly. It's that's ruined like we're in Seattle. Football. We don't have oh, a team. Oh, my God. Like, yeah
1: well anyways (laughs) but i mean like kids kind of i don't want to say they need that i want to give kids more credit than that but like think about how much I'll, i'll speak for myself every we're all addicted to our phones i look at that pitch tempo page i finally found it and i look at how long it takes frankie montas to throw a pitch when a when a runner's on base 28 seconds do you know how many things I can look up on my phone and how many times I can refresh my Twitter page and how many times I can take myself out of a baseball game in 28 seconds with my cell phone? Kids are doing the same thing. And we don't even yeah. need to make this about kids. I, I'll stop bringing up kids. Like, everybody. Everyone, It just yeah, tunes yeah. you out. When, if I'm watching a basketball game, I don't. if I want to watch the game and see what happens, I don't have time to look at my phone. Like, it, the, the ball's constantly
0: in action. It's just not the case in baseball. And no. so if this will cut down on that, then awesome. When I go to a baseball game or watch a baseball game on TV with my kids. They're always doing other things. I'm always doing other things. I often like I, I for years had season tickets with a good friend of mine for the Mariners. We had like a 20 game package and we would almost always have MLB TV up on one of our phones watching another game while we were at the yeah. Mariners games because you can't. Sure. And it's right. Right. When I take my kids to a soccer game or when we watch a soccer game on TV, right? Same thing you're saying about basketball. You don't you can't look away because if you look away, right. you miss something. And I think baseball needs to get back to that point where like pitchers are working quickly. And I think if you, if you are having a pitch thrown every 15 seconds, that denies people in a good way, the opportunity to get distracted and it keeps the action happening. So I'm a fan. I think it'll be crisp. I think it'll be good. I think people will like that change. Let's get into there. There are actually two other rule changes, but I think we can combine them because I think from a fantasy perspective, they have similar impacts. One is the bases are going to be larger, not a whole lot larger, but they are going to be larger. The other is that pitchers will be limited, and this is sort of tied to the pitch clock thing. They will be limited to disengaging from the rubber twice during a plate appearance. And there's all sorts of interesting things. here. Like The third time, if they step off a third time and they pick the guy off, that's fine. If you actually catch the guy on the third one, that's fine. If you step off a third time because the guy is running and he successfully steals on you, he stole on you. That's it. That's that. But if you step off and the guy dives back to first and you throw over and you don't pick him off, it's a balk and the guy gets moved up a base. That's basically what it comes down to. This is an interesting, it's an interesting setup. I I think I generally like the setup because it does mean that like, if you throw over twice, the runner can't just take off because now you can't throw over again because if they do... You step off, you throw it a second, they tag them out, they're out, and you're allowed to get the out. So there's that. But before we dive into our, our feelings about this generally, let's talk about the fantasy impact of both the larger base and the limit on the number of pickoffs. What are what are your what do you think the fantasy <laughs> impact will be there? I just I just imagine like the
1: brainiacs of MLB just sitting around like, what if we just made the bases? bigger. Like okay, <laughs> sure. Uh I, my first initial thought is like poor pitchers with all these changes because they're all hey, good yeah. for, for hitters and balls in play which is not good for pitchers. Um in terms of fantasy impact, I mean, I, you have to think even though it's a dying art, almost like the bunt, that like stolen bases might have a little bit of a renaissance. I think part of that is there's a lot of youth in baseball right now that are that are base stealers and and we have more complete athletic players. I also think that in a way, these rules could be connected where because there's no longer shifts like we talked about, there may be a need for more athletic, quick players in the field to begin with. And now you increase the bases and you limit the amount of step offs and so on and so forth. Well, all of a sudden now you might have more stolen bases, which is a good thing for your rotisserie leagues because that category is just a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. I, but So I, th- I, I think it, it'll just be a I think this actually might have the biggest might result in the biggest increase in offense. But it might not be as much as everyone thinks. It'll just be more action.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably right. I, I think, you know, the the bases, the increase in the bases is going to make the distance between the bases shorter by like an inch or something, which seems like nothing. <laughs> except sure. how many times have you seen an instant replay with a guy trying yeah. to go first to third, a guy trying to steal a base, a guy, any of those things where the you know the tag comes in and you're like, wow, if he got there a half an inch sooner, yeah. He's in there. Seems like it feels like every night. Yeah. And that's just gonna yeah. be right. And then the nice the thing I love about this is it won't actually change how often we see those close plays. Those close plays, which are fun and exciting and like those will still happen. They'll just yep. happen on even sooner. Even sooner, <laughs> right? Because other like the plays that, that are currently close won't be close because that inch will make a difference. And the and now plays that were not close the other direction will become close. So I think that'll be like, you will see guys taking extra bases more, stealing more. The the closer bases, I don't think are going to be big enough to cause anyone to try to steal more. I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, I was only going to steal five times this year, but now I might go twice as often because I, it's a half an inch less distant. Like, I don't think that's going to be the case. I also think the pickoff rule is going to very specifically impact high volume base stealers because your random guy who steals, you know, five bases a year. So let's, let's pull up, I'm going to pull up a leaderboard on Fangraphs right now. Let's look at our stolen bases leaders and, you know, scroll down a few pages and look at like, well, I went too many pages and these guys all have zero. Let's go back a couple (laughs) pages. Luis arise. Let's lose user. Luis arise. He's stolen four bases this year. I have no idea how often he's been – he's drawn a pickoff throw, but I bet it's not that often. Even though he seems like a guy who could steal a lot, he's not. He doesn't run that often. Here's another guy like Mike Yastrzemski has five stolen bases. Jeff McNeil has three. Pete Alonso has three stolen bases. Nobody is throwing over to first base (laughs) to keep Pete Alonso close. Polar Bear. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So in practice, I don't think this has any impact on those guys. But you look at the top base stealers in the game right now. You know, Cedric Mullins and Jorge Mateo have 30 each for Baltimore. Randy Rosarena, Bobby Witt Jr. tied for third with 27. Tommy Edmonds has 26. Those guys are getting throws, at, throws over to first a lot. And now all of a sudden, you have this whole strategic thing where like, if you throw once, fine. And people, they're going to. Every time Cedric Mullins gets on first, he's probably going to get one throw over during a play appearance. But you got to be careful about that because if you throw once, it's risky to throw a second time because then you can't throw a third. And so I think what you'll see is more total stolen bases across baseball, a higher percentage of successful steals because it's a little bit harder to hold guys on and because the bases are a little bit closer. But I think you'll see that the bulk of those added stolen bases go to the, I don't know, there are, as of right now, There are 35 players with 11-plus stolen bases. Actually, I'm not even sure if that's true. There's 35 players qualified for the batting title with 11-plus stolen bases. Let's see. Maybe there's more total. There are... Ah, there are more. How about that? There are 62 players with 10-plus stolen bases. I think those 62 players... We'll all steal more bases, probably meaningfully more in some cases. I think almost everyone else, it's going to have very little impact. That that's my yeah. my guess on that. Now, that's a little inaccurate because, like, some of those guys, like Christopher Morrell has nine stolen bases, but he's done it in a lot less plate appearances than other players, so he'll probably still get you know he'll benefit. Aaron Hicks has only had four hundred plate appearances, has nine stolen bases, he probably still benefits. It's like there are other guys who will benefit. But I think but the, the point is like I think the benefit will accrue to your high volume base stealers who are already drawing a lot of throws, not to the polar bear. As much as I'd like to see the polar bear put up like a 40 30 season or something like that, maybe he goes from, you know, his his forty home runs, three stolen bases to forty home runs and four stolen bases, but like I don't see it being a lot Whoa. more.
1: I mean, yeah, it's a thirty-three percent
0: increase for him, right? So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's significant.
1: I, I think you're. I think you're right. I do think. I mean, so much of stolen bases are intent, right? It's not always just the fastest guys. Like, yeah, they're more likely to be safe if they have the intent. But so much of stolen bases is intent, and with it being such a mental game, not to harp on that again, if there are batters out there who really only attempt, you know, your nine to twelve steals a season you know, you tell them and they're feeling good, like, hey, you know, second base a little bit bigger, like you might be able to get there a little bit sooner. Maybe that increases the amount of stolen base attempts just because they're thinking they're in the intent is there and they're thinking I can be safe. Even if if everything stays the same, like the bases aren't close enough to matter for the guy for like the exact number of stolen bases and stolen base attempts that have already taken place, like it really wouldn't have changed. How many guys were safe versus out, even though that's probably still going to be the case, we may just see more attempts because there's that intent. There's that like, I, I know it's that much closer. I know I can get there. And I wouldn't rule that out, even though we had guys like Yon moncada say he was going to steal 70 bases or whatever. He said but he's at like zero. <laughs> right. Uh, but that's kind of anecdotal. Um, yeah. I, I do think the intent could be there. And because of that, we could also see just sort of a general stolen base increase across the board. But I think we're consistent, right? Like I, we're going to see an yeah. increase and in,
0: it's welcomed. Stolen bases are yeah. fun. No, I think I was going I was about to turn us to like, what do you think of this for baseball? And I was just going to answer first, instead of asking you and be like, stolen bases are good. They're one of the more fun things in baseball. Even the, and the whole play, the, you see the guy take off with the pitch. You see the throw down, like everything about it oh, is yeah. fun and exciting. And pickoffs are stupid. <laughs> like oh oh jesus yeah, they're painful there are like eight pitchers in baseball who have a legitimate pickoff move and they sometimes get a guy and that's fun great Sure. they could do that but everyone else like these pitchers who like step off and like softly toss the ball over to first oh, just jesus. to remind the bed i was like that stuff is awful and there's gonna be less of that and i am here for it very yep. very happy with this change oh absolutely yeah yeah I also, I, there's I, no reason I to be opposed to this i've been uh I just finished reading the new Ricky Henderson biography, Ricky, which is great. Nice. If you haven't read it, you should, but it, you read that and you're like, man, I wish there was another Ricky Henderson. Like I want to see somebody, <laughs> I want, I want to see a guy who's got like 20 Homer power, but also steals a hundred bases. Oh, hell yeah. And I will, I will say the other thing I got from that book, which I, I missed, I think, cause you know, I mean, Henderson, obviously like he played literally forever, And his career overlapped with an awful lot of my life. But like his prime was really when I was like a kid, right? When I was pretty young. And so I'm not sure I really realized he had a 401 career on base percentage. Jesus. He had a 401 career. No, he played until he was 44. His last season over 400, (laughs) he had had his last four seasons. His on base percentage was 368, 366, 369. And it finally dipped down to 321. But that dude, I mean, he walked so much and he got on base at a high clip and like, yeah. Anyways, you should read the book. It's super exciting. But (laughs) reading that book did make me think like, I actually want that. I want a guy who's capable of hitting 20 homers, who's like, gets on base a ton. And every time they get on base, it's like, screw it, I'm going. And and I actually think like, Corbin Carroll, let's hope. Corbin Carroll, Julio Arbena, and the other guy who I think falls into that is Trey Turner. And Trey Turner has stolen, you know, he has a 46 steal year and a 43 steal year back in 2017 and 2018. I want to see him try to steal hundred. I think he could do it now. Oh, he was, he was pacing for
1: absurd number. It, 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 it was all derailed just due to injury. He would no. have put, he could have done 2080 easily.
0: Yeah. I want to see, I want to see him get there and it's going to require the Dodgers. If anybody who works for the Dodgers is listening to this. <laughs> I understand that your offense is incredible, and that it's a waste of time to have Trey Turner steal <laughs> because the guys behind him are likely to smash a home run or a double and drive him in anyways. I don't care. You're going to run away with the division. We all know that. Just give him the green light and like let him go. I want. I want to see it. I want to see him put up with, like twenty eighty. I let's let's do it. It would Trey, lock up the MVP, that'll bring you some money. Yeah. Go for it, man. I don't know if Trey Turner's listening, but if he is, that is my dream for you is to be 2080 next year. Go do it. I I you, so I had you, to, you can. You can. I know you can. I'm fully on board with the 2080 Trey Turner.
1: And I had to look it up because I just found that number so ridiculous. Ricky Henderson's 401 on base percentage for his career would career? be fourth in base would be fourth in baseball this season. That's insane. Like this his career on base percentage would be fourth in MLB this season, only behind Goldschmidt, Judge, and Soto. And two of those guys are having pretty good years.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's absolutely nuts. And by the way, for what it's worth, he went 2080 in 1985. He went 2080 in 1986. And I think those are the only two years he did it. And those may be the only two 2080 seasons in major league history. I'm not actually sure because yeah, all those like old timey guys wouldn't have
1: got the 20. So I, I yeah. don't know. Now
0: I feel like, like I gotta, I gotta figure out. One Pierre to was
1: lucky to hit two homers. So I mean, t- but, I mean, I
0: would just filter by highest stolen base seasons. Cause there's not going to be many that are over 80. Yeah, that's probably true. Let's see. I've got a season and career finders player batting. I use a uh, stat head from baseball reference. It's, it's super fun home runs greater than or equal to 20 and stolen bases greater than or equal to 80 get results let's see if this worked oh there was one more man i should have i should have thought of him although i'm not sure i would have actually guessed give me a year 1986 so in 86 when henderson did it someone in the national league did it too henderson did it for the yankees there was a Reds player who did it in 1986. This is like before your time. Yeah, this is this is six years before me.
1: I don't yeah. I don't know. God, I, well, no, child. no. Hold on, uh, Eric, <laughs>
0: Eric Davis. Eric, Eric Davis. Davis. That's right. Eric. So Davis. So the only reason I know this is MLB The Show. He had exactly 80 stolen bases and hit 27 home runs. He wow. went 27. That's, that's a lot. And and Ricky went 28 87 that year. Just insane. So that's it okay, so this is it. Trey Turner. you can join elite company. Ricky Henderson twice, Eric Davis once and Trey Turner. It can happen. I want to see it. I think, on board. we've officially reached the point where we have nothing else we can say about this, and I think we should probably <laughs> let it go. So yeah, we went all that, the way back to 1986. so 1985, the first time Henderson did it was 85. so we we went no yeah, yeah. that was during I'm my lifetime, now, so. even if it wasn't during yours, so uh, <laughs> with that. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us ratings and reviews. You can follow the show on Twitter at Keeper Cut. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can follow me at Chad Young. Love to hear from you. Love to hear your questions. Let us know what you want us to cover down the stretch. With that, hope you are having a good week and we'll talk to you next week.